Open your Bibles with me again to John chapter 18. We took a little detour last week as we explored the second phase of Jesus' religious trial before the Jews. John doesn't address that specifically, and Matthew did, and so we spent some time looking at that. And so Jesus has finished the second phase of his Jewish religious trial. In the first phase of his trial, he met very, very briefly with Annas, who is the former high priest, who is the father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. And we learned in our study that Caiaphas has quickly convened the great council, the national council, also known as the Sanhedrin, which is a group of men, 70 men, who are the chief priests, the elders, who lead the nation of Israel and their religious duties to love God, to honor God, to serve God, to learn about God. And what we've learned so far in our study of this trial is that these godly men, allegedly godly men, have violated virtually every basic right that this man Jesus ever possessed as a Jew in the nation of Israel. We learned that the trial was in the home of the high priest, not in the court as was prescribed. It was in the nighttime, not during the day as it was prescribed. It took place during the Passover feast, which was not allowed. When he was on trial, there was no formal charge or indictment made against him. There were no witnesses who had given any testimony that created the need for an indictment to be levied against him. Instead, the charges were made by the high priest, the judge, if you will. He was, the sentence that he was given was handed down immediately rather than the mandated two-day waiting period, which was required by their own law. And rather than abiding by their own law and taking Jesus through the streets and announcing the charges against him and asking for possible witnesses to come and refute the charges against him, instead they had him turned over to the Romans who beat him within an inch of his life. They strapped the cross beam of the cross that he would eventually die onto his back. And he humiliatedly walked through the streets to the ridicule of the masses. But before he gets to Calvary, before he finishes this journey, there is a very brief third phase of his religious trial to cover. John does not address it. Matthew addresses it in chapters 27 in just two verses, one and two. Mark addresses it in just a single verse in chapter 15, one. And Luke provides the most information about this third phase of his religious trial in chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. So you can follow along as I read this. When it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. And so by convening in the daylight hours in the council chamber, they met technically the requirement of the law, but the decision to have Jesus executed was already handed down. It had already been determined. And this was a mere formality to give the appearance, the appearance of propriety and to cover over their illegal handling of Jesus' trial. 
So that concludes the phase, the three phases of Jesus' religious trial. And upon the completion of that, <clears throat> we begin looking at now what would be his Roman secular trial, which John does cover. Just like the religious trial, there are three phases to this, but John only records the first and the third. And so next week, we'll take a very brief look at the second phase of his civil trial when he stands before Herod. So let's look together in John chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 28 and read all the way to 38 and look at the first part of his civil trial. Then they led Jesus to Caiaphas into the, from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. So we're going to look at this passage of Scripture in four main points. The first main point is, number one, the setting. Verse 28 provides for us a setting where it says that they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium and it was early and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. So he leaves the palace of the high priest Caiaphas and he is taken to the praetorium. This was the Jerusalem headquarters of the military commander. So in all of the different provinces that Rome ruled, there would be a place that the military commander would live, and this happened to be a palace that was occupied by the military commander. But when Pilate was in Jerusalem, which he typically was, the governor would come for the three major feasts because of the large numbers of people and the need to keep order within the city. So this would have been Pilate's headquarters, but his actual place of residence was the palace of the governor in Caesarea. So it was necessary to have this civil trial before Pilate, the governor of Judea, for one reason only, and that was the Jews were not allowed to carry out a capital sentence. The Romans had taken that away from them under their rule, and it was mandated that they and they alone had the ability to execute so it doesn't mean that the Jews didn't execute people. After all, it records for us in Acts chapter 6 that Stephen was stoned to death. Paul, in his own testimony, talks about killing Christians 
and taking them to jail, indicating that Paul had received his orders from the religious leaders of the day. But since Jesus was so popular, and since just four days earlier he entered into the city of Jerusalem, known as the triumphal entry, to a parade-like atmosphere, the Jews were concerned about how the crowd might react if they themselves were to be first-hand responsible for the death of Jesus. So because of the enormous crowds that came to Jerusalem for this Passover feast, they needed to deflect the responsibility on the death of Jesus from themselves to the Romans. Now, Pilate is the governor of Judea. He served for about ten years. The Jews were not a military threat to the Romans, but their large numbers could create significant problems, and Pilate had the ability to balance this challenge very, very well. He did so with brutality and with great insensitivity to the Jewish people. There was a constant give and take between the religious leaders and the governor of Rome, specifically in this case, Pilate. Pilate wanted something, and he would have to give something up. The Jews would want something, and they would have to give something up. And so Pilate had been able to navigate through these very difficult waters and keeping balance within the city of Jerusalem, most specifically, knowing that Romans were hated. Not only were they Gentiles, but they were also occupying their promised land. So there was a lot of animosity between the two groups, but again, Pilate was incredibly insensitive and brutal towards the Jews. Luke records for us in 13.1, on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now this isn't blood being mixed with the sacrifice of animals and being consumed or offered up to God. What it likely refers to is Pilate brutally stamping out a minor rebellious uprising and he killed these individuals in the temple during a time of worship service or celebration and by doing so, he had defiled the temple and the sacrifice that was being offered to God. It was also believed that Pilate would help himself to the money collected in the temple tax and it was often reported that he did this and built the aqueduct that ran through the city of Jerusalem. He often would use the threat of violence or death to control the Jews and they were often forced to give in since they had no earthly power to overthrow them. So here is Pilate coming for one of his three annual visits to Jerusalem. The crowds are teeming with excitement because Jesus is there. They've heralded him as the Messiah. And there's some information that has come to Pilate about a problem. And we'll look at that a little bit later in our narrative here. So we're in the praetorium. The other thing that we learn is that it's very early in the morning. Now, this is called in, in the Greek the fourth watch. And based upon Jewish timekeeping, this is probably around 6 o'clock in the morning. The sun would have already been up. It was the beginning of the day. The streets were not yet crowded, but it was common for Roman officials to begin their day at sunup, and then they would end their day at around noon. And so this third phase of Jesus' religious trial was just a rubber stamp of confirming a death sentence upon Jesus 
And immediately after that, not long after the rooster crowed, signifying Peter's denial, they ushered Jesus into the praetorium very early in the morning to begin this phase of his civil trial before Pilate. Third thing we notice here in the setting is that they were separated. If you notice in this verse, the Jews did not enter into the praetorium. It was common in these palaces to have an entryway and a big colonnade or a big courtyard before you actually entered in to the palace itself. Now, since it was the day of Passover and these godly religious leaders had already gone through their ceremonial cleansing, they dare not step foot into the presence or the household of a Gentile resident or else they be determined ceremonially unclean. Think about this. The Jews were taking elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination so that they could eat the Passover at the very time they are busy manipulating their own judicial system to secure the death of Jesus who is the true Passover. How ironic is it that these men are so caught up in ritual cleanliness when they have set out and predetermined to kill an innocent man. There was no sense of injustice in that. There was no sense of wrongdoing or sin in that. They were doing what they thought was right, and they were more concerned about their ritual than they were the life of this individual that was about to be executed. Now, if you remember from last week, we talked about what was the chief role of the Sanhedrin. It was to protect life, not destroy it. And here they are going out of their way to hold illegal trials and manipulate their own system and kill Jesus all the while, not daring to set foot into the praetorium so they not be rendered ceremonially unclean. Also, by not entering into the praetorium and being on the outside of it, Pilate has to go in to talk to Jesus and then out to talk to the religious leaders a couple of different times, which makes this a very difficult arrangement. The Jews were not present. They couldn't hear the conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And when he would come back out, they would lobby for their request. And of course, Jesus is not able to physically hear what is being said about him. So that is the setting. Number two in our outline is the inquiry. This is when the examination by Pilate begins. Now remember, back to the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was some portion of the Roman cohort which which accompanied the chief priest to the garden to arrest Jesus. So it is very likely that Pilate had some information about their desire to arrest Jesus and had allowed some number of this Roman cohort, which typically is 600 to 1,000 people, to go with the chief priest in order to arrest Jesus. So Pilate knows something is going on. There may have been some kind of an agreement that isn't recorded in the Scripture, but what we know now is that Pilate is going to have an interrogation, if you will, with Jesus. So the first thing that Pilate wants to determine is, what is the charge? Verse 29, Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? So Jesus is in the praetorium. The Jews are on the outside of the praetorium. 
And he goes, Pilate goes out to them and says, what is the charge against this man? This is similar to an arraignment today in our court of law where the official charge is announced. So when Pilate asks what is the charge, this request is the formal beginning of the trial. It is also very likely a not-so-subtle indication to the Jewish leaders that Pilate is interested in holding a fresh trial rather than being dependent upon any other kind of discussion or agreement that had already been made. Perhaps this was a way to antagonize the religious leaders because, after all, Pilate was very insensitive towards them, and if he could poke and jab at them, he would most certainly do so. But the Jews most likely thought they had some kind of an understanding with Pilate, and they thought that they were probably just going to get a quick rubber stamp approval of their request to have Jesus executed. They don't want a new hearing. They want an execution order. So we see their belligerent reply to this very standard question, what is the charge? The belligerent reply is found in verse 30. They answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Think about that. Think about being in a court of law today And the presiding judge says, what is the charge against this individual? And the prosecuting attorney says, the charge doesn't really matter, judge. You just got to trust me. This is a bad guy, and we need to put him away. What's the judge going to say? Oh, okay. Let me throw out hundreds of years of judicial precedence and just do whatever you ask me to do because you've asked me to do this. They say, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. They don't make a charge against Jesus. They don't say, he did this, or we found him guilty of that. All they basically say is, in our estimation, based upon our own opinion, he is an evildoer, and you shouldn't have to ask us what this man has done wrong. Now, while this accusation against Jesus that he is an evildoer is an insult to his character, there isn't any specific legal violation that is even mentioned. There's no charge that would merit a legal proceeding before the governor of Rome. Now, Pilate's no dummy. He stood over many, many trials as the governor, and he knows that there is something up. The Jews are very simply saying, trust us, he's a bad man, and he needs to die. In reality, what they found him guilty of was claiming to be the Son of God. Listen to the evil deeds that Jesus did in his claim to be the Son of God. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He cleansed the leper. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. My, oh my, what an evil man that is. He deserves to have his toenails pulled out and hung upside down and just covered with ants. Isn't that what he deserves? He's such a bad man. Well, Pilate understands that there's something going on. He understands that this is very, very likely simply a religious issue, and this is what he's going to do. Pilate's challenge in verse 31a, so Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your 
own law. Pilate knew. Pilate knew that there was not a civil charge to be brought against him. Pilate knew that there was not a violation of Roman law. Pilate knew that there was a problem between Jesus as a Jew and these religious leaders who oversaw the nation of Israel. He knows that this is a ruse, but he's going to continue to push the matter. Now, Matthew chapter 27, verse 18 gives us a little bit more of an insight into the mind of Pilate. It says, For he, Pilate, knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. So the religious leaders were envious of Jesus. They were fearful of the massive crowds that were flocking to him. And months earlier in the Gospel of John, Caiaphas, the reigning high priest, said because of the crowds that are following Jesus and because of the miracles that he performs that we can't refute, It is expedient for that man to die and we not lose our place in the nation of Israel. So Pilate knew what was going on here. But Pilate's resistance here isn't his being sensitive or compassionate. It's not that at all. He's brutal. He hates the Jews and they hate him. But he has an opportunity to irritate the religious leaders and he was more than happy to provide that irritation. So he knows this is a religious matter and not a civil one. The Jews are desperate in need of Pilate's involvement because they want Jesus dead and they can't do that themselves legally and they fear that if they do, the massive crowds will revolt against them. So we see their admission. After Pilate's challenge, in the latter part of verse 31, we see their admission to what the real deal is. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Again, there's no mention of a charge. There's no violation. There's no civil wrong that has been committed. There's no specific evil deed that is being communicated. They just simply acknowledge we want him to die and we can't do that on our own. So we need your help, buddy old pal. Will you help us out? This guy's bad. We don't like him. We want him to go away. So here the Jews are acknowledging to Pilate that this is in fact a religious matter and not a civil one. Now while Pilate seeks justification for civil punishment to be handed down, The Jews have revealed their true intention. It exposes the hatred in their heart. It exposes that they are in fact the evildoers as they seek to kill the one they call an evildoer. So we see now in verse 32, Jesus' prediction. Verse 32 reads, To fulfill the word of Jesus which He spoke signifying by what kind of death He was about to die. You know, there are some well-intentioned people who make Jesus out to be an unwitting, unwilling victim who didn't understand what was going on and really wanted to change the course of history. But Jesus Himself spoke clearly and regularly about the fact that He was going to die and He even indicated the kind of death that he was going to die. In Mark 10, verses 33 and 34, it says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be, delivered, will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, 
and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Jesus is saying this. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. In John 3.14, in John 8.28, and in John 12.32, Jesus spoke of being lifted up, signifying that he was going to be lifted up and die Jesus was not surprised. He was not caught off guard. He was not an unwitting or an unwilling participant in this. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And because he loved the Father and was committed to fulfilling the Father's plan for him, he perfectly obeyed everything the Father laid out for him to do. Now, had the Jews executed Jesus, he would not have been lifted up. He would have been thrown down and he would have been stoned on the ground, which was how the Jewish law prescribed death. Death by stoning. Never, ever on a Roman cross. So the Jews had to come up with something that would persuade Pilate's involvement. John doesn't record this interaction, but Luke does. In Luke 23.2 we read this. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, where were these accusations during his religious trial? They didn't exist, did they? In fact, they brought in many false witnesses and the only thing they could come up with that had any semblance of sticking was Jesus' statement that destroy this temple and in three days... I will build it up again. They thought he was talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his own life and the resurrection that would come three days after his death. When they paraded Jesus before Pilate, and Pilate asked them, what has this man done? They didn't say anything other than, we wouldn't have brought this man to you if he were not an evildoer. So they've now found a way to begin to invent charges against Jesus that would be of a civil nature that would force Pilate to at least consider why they have brought Jesus to him. So the charge is no longer that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, which is purely religious, but that he is an insurrectionist. He is one that is likely going to lead a rebellion against Rome because he claims himself to be a king. Well, there was no Roman governor that was going to stand up for anybody portraying himself as a king because in their minds, there was only one king and that was Herod. And they were his subjects and it was their responsibility to trample down anybody who would dare think that they themselves were a king. Number three in our outline, we move now into the specific interview that Pilate is going to have with Jesus. So the fabrication has led Pilate to conclude that Jesus may be an insurrectionist, a seditionist, who will lead a revolt against Roman authority, which has happened in the past and which was overwhelmingly squashed. But Pilate needs to do his due diligence and find out exactly what this is about. Now, we know that what he was accused, what Jesus was accused of doing and telling the people not to pay their taxes was actually a restatement of what Jesus had said. As we visit Matthew chapter 22, where this accusation comes from, verses 17 to 21, the religious leaders were trying to 
trick Jesus. They were trying to get him to say something where they would have a reason to condemn him. So they said, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Now the reason that was a question, and it was a very loaded question, was because the Jews hated the poll tax. As Jews, occupied by the Roman nation, they didn't think that they had to pay a poll tax. They thought it was wrong. They thought it was egregious. They thought it was unfair. And they hated it. And so they wanted to try to trick Jesus to see what he would say about the poll tax. Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose inscription and excuse me, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now I didn't record this, but they marveled and wandered away because they could not debate anything that Jesus had just said. So there's an issue here that Pilate wants to resolve. The issue is in verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium. Remember, he's in, he's out, now he's back in. And he summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So what he's really asking Jesus is this. Are you pleading guilty or are you pleading not guilty to this charge that you are the king of the Jews? So what Pilate has in mind is this. Are you really a political threat to Roman authority or is this something they have made up? Because as a political king, one who could lead a revolt against the nation of Rome, Pilate was going to have none of that. And this is what he's really asking. Are you a political king who has the potential to lead a revolt against Rome? In all four gospel accounts, this first question that is asked by Pilate to Jesus is emphatically emphasizing the word you. So the Greek text literally reads, you, are you the king of the Jews? It has with it a very skeptical and a very derogatory tone to it. From a human perspective, Jesus didn't look like a king. And if he was a king, where was his army? Where were his men who were going to fight for him and who were going to be a part of leading this revolt against Rome? How exactly are you, as king of the Jews, a threat to Rome? Well, Jesus gives his clarification to this charge that has been made against him. Verse 34, Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? So us not understanding the culture and the language, we don't get the significance of what Jesus is saying here. On the surface, it sounds like Jesus is deflecting the question, or it sounds like it's a challenge to the question, but it isn't. Before Jesus specifically answers the question, he's asking for a clarification from Pilate by what he means as king of the Jews. Jesus knows he can't give a simple yes or no answer. So what Jesus is saying is this. Am I a king in a political sense? And do I pose a threat to Rome? Well, the answer to that question would be no. But am I king in a religious, spiritual sense as the Messiah of the nation of Israel? Well, then the answer is yes. 
This is what Jesus is clarifying for Pilate. What do you mean when you ask me if I am king of the Jews, politically or spiritually? So there is now a retort that comes from Pilate in verse 35, and you can hear the indignation in his voice. I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? So his response reflects his hatred for the Jewish people and his increasing frustration over the fact that he is now presiding over what seems to be a very ridiculous case with this individual named Jesus. So by saying your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me makes it pretty clear that Pilate understands that this is very likely a religious charge that is made against him, and he is very simply repeating back to Jesus the charge that the Jews have made against him. This is not Rome's accusation against you. This is your own people's accusation against you. Are you a political military ruler, or are you something else? He, He asks very simply, what have you done? And in a Roman legal proceeding, the accused could be asked in great detail about the accusations that have been levied against them. So in other words, what have you done that would cause the religious leaders to bring you to me? Well, Jesus provides an answer in verse 36. Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So Jesus has now answered the question, and he makes it very, very clear that he poses no threat to Rome. He's not claiming to be a political ruler with an army in the bushes ready to come out and mount this massive attack. He is very simply a spiritual leader who rules over a kingdom that is not of this physical world. This was the whole problem the religious leaders couldn't understand. This is the problem that his own disciples had in not understanding that Jesus came to create a spiritual kingdom and not to restore the nation of Israel in a political kingdom. It's important to note here that Jesus acknowledges that the very people he rules over, the Jews, are the ones who are his enemies and his being handed over to them. So they are the ones who sought his arrest and they are the ones who are seeking his execution. He is not an enemy of Rome. He's simply a spiritual ruler that the religious leaders have rejected. And here I am before you. We see now in verse 37a, Pilate's misunderstanding of this exchange that he and Jesus have just had. Verse 37a, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. All Pilate heard was Jesus saying something about a kingdom, and this evokes the question seeking further affirmation from Pilate. Are you a king? You say you're a king. What kind of a king are you? And Jesus provides Further explanation in the remaining part of verse 37. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. 
everyone who is of, who is of the truth hears my voice. And so Jesus acknowledges his kingly position. I have come into this world. I was born. He's speaking of the incarnation. I was once in the heavenlies from eternity past. And I was born into this world to be the king of the Jews. And I have come into this world to testify of the truth. The truth of the Father. The truth of His spiritual provision for the nation of Israel. The truth about Jesus Himself being the one and only way to the Father. Those who hear My voice understand that I am the truth and they will recognize Me as the spiritual King over the nation of Israel. His purpose and His mission is to speak the truth as the King who has come into the world that He has created. Verse 38 gives us Pilate's rejection. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Boy, that, that response is no stranger to our current day and age, is it? What is truth? Well, your truth is your truth. You determine truth for yourself. There is no absolute truth. There's not even any absolute moral truth. We can basically rationalize, justify, and excuse virtually any behavior because we make for ourselves what is truth. So this is a very curt and a very sharp response, and it indicates that Pilate has no use for his claim to being a spiritual king or the possessor of truth, and he basically wants nothing to do with Jesus, and he wants to hear nothing more from Jesus, and he wants to get this entire facade of a trial over. And that brings us to the last point in our outline, and that is the verdict. Verse 38b, he goes back out in the midst of the religious leaders. And when he had said this, what is truth, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. The verdict is not guilty. There is no valid indictment at the beginning of the trial. There's no substantiation of the charges made as the religious leaders haggled for this accusation of insurrection. And there's no conviction at the end of this phase of the trial. Most certainly the Jews were shocked and they were outraged and perhaps very surprised that Pilate had not fulfilled their expectation or their request Perhaps Pilate even violated some unknown agreement between them to rubber stamp this request for rejection. Luke doesn't, excuse me, John doesn't record anything that takes place after this pronouncement that Jesus is not guilty, but Luke records for us the continuing conversation. Luke 23, verses 5 through 7. But they, the religious leaders, kept on insisting, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at this time. So Pilate is going to pass the buck. He's declared Jesus to be not guilty. The Jews are not having any of that. 
They're continuing to try to trump up charges against him that would validate some kind of a conviction against Jesus so that they could have him put to death. So Pilate's going to pass the problem down the road to Herod and let him deal with this problem that he no longer himself wants to deal with. This ends the first phase of Jesus' civil trial. John doesn't deal with the second phase. We'll look at that very, very briefly next week as we move into the third phase where the guilty verdict and the sentence of execution is handed down. But as we think about what Jesus has gone through as the Son of God, as the Lamb of God, as the sinless, perfect man, the man who went about doing nothing but good, who challenged the hypocrisy and the man-centered, tradition-based religion of the day, this man was accused as an evildoer and was being pushed towards a death sentence only to fulfill God's predetermined plan of redemption that you and I benefit from today. Jesus sat there and took it all. He didn't fight. He didn't cry. He didn't pound his fist demanding justice. He very simply understood this was God's predetermined plan for him. And he was going to sit by and take what was given to him as he will eventually take upon himself the sin of the world so that you and I could be saved. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we look at these trials, we see a, a glimpse of the unjustness and the unfairness that Jesus had to endure. But it won't compare to what's about to come. God, I pray that we would be reminded of how Jesus quietly and majestically sat and took what was dished out to him, understanding it was the will of the Father. Father, we have a very difficult time standing for injustice in our world and in our lives. But we pray that we would learn from the model that Jesus gave to us, that we would understand your role in sharpening us and pruning us and sanctifying us. We will suffer unjustly and unfairly. We will bear the brunt of false accusation and ridicule simply because we identify with Christ. But just as Jesus endured all of this for the glory that awaited Him, I pray that we would learn to endure all things knowing the glory that awaits for us. Thank You, Father, that this brutality that Jesus was just now beginning to experience was not the end, but it was the door. It was the door in providing redemption. We thank You for the victory that is ours in Christ. We thank you for the victory that Christ exhibited over sin and death and even those who were guilty of putting him to death. God, we pray that you would continue to teach us to treasure this gift of salvation you have given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing to him.